Well, uh, sadly, today is our final installment of Restart, and if you've missed any of the past few weeks, I want to urge you, seriously, go to newlifewichita.com and to uh, go listen to those, or possibly re-listen to ones that you may have missed, and here's why. Uh, I, I like to read often, uh, and I read fiction, but I also read mostly nonfiction, actually, because I'm always wanting to grow as a man, as a husband, as a dad and as a leader, and without going into all the detail and explaining all of the Enneagram, for those of you that are unfamiliar, over the past two weeks I've been in an amazing resource that actually, after Easter, I see us as a community diving into, Uh, but without explaining all that, this particular resource has helped me gain greater clarity into what's called my number, which is a blend of my personality and my temperament, and I am an Enneagram 3. And why this matters is, among other things, good and bad, a three is driven to motivate and encourage other people, encourage the people around us. And we have the innate ability to be able to understand and connect and adapt to the people that we're with from all walks and stages of life. And at the core, we are terrified of being worthless. And at our core, we are driven by the desire to accomplish and succeed. And how that translates out for me personally as a pastor is accomplishment and success is seeing you take your next steps in following a risen Jesus and to see your life be better and to see you better at life and to see that that then impact the people around you in your life and in your relationships and ultimately that you would be change makers and light bringers in the environment that God has put you in into this dark world and uh, for you and for the sake of the next generation and for all the coronials especially in our community that are going to be born in the next few months so I obsess over every series over every message over everything else that we do and though I am comfortable in my own skin to acknowledge that I am not a great communicator and I'm not a great leader. I I will acknowledge I think I might be on the higher end of average and I'm okay with that. Uh, But the thing that I can also tell you is that a huge amount of thought and love and prayer and passion has been put into each and every message, again, to help you move forward in the areas of life and faith that matter most. And uh, it will be so worth your time to be here every weekend, either in person or joining us online. And if you miss any weekend, to access every weekend on our website and in this series, Restart. Because in this series, we have been talking about how to, uh, basically, we kind of wish life was like a, a, a device that we could just restart. It starts acting up, a computer or a smartphone, it's not acting right, and the number one fix is to simply restart the device. And when it powers back up, everything runs faster, everything runs smoother, and you start with this fresh, clean slate. We've been spending the last few weeks talking about how can we do this with our lives. And it's never as fast as simply pushing a button or tapping an icon, but it's not as complicated as we might think. And it takes time. And, and though it takes time, what it does for us and what it does for our life and our relationships, our finances, it's all worth it to pause and press restart in a certain area of our life or our entire life as a whole. And week one, we talked about determining what's our wall. What's that thing that we need to give our focused attention to in 2021 and that this great work that I must not come down from until it's completed this year. And then we talked about own it. 
And we talked and gave basically a big circle. This is, represents a pie chart. And we said, this is the circle of blame. It's just all the blame that is represented as you look back in terms of why fill in the blank went wrong or it fell apart. Whatever it was in the distant or recent past where there was a breakdown in career or a breakdown in relationship or in finances, there were layers of fault. There were layers. There was a circle of blame. And in most of our cases, when we tell our sad story, and we all have a sad story that we like to tell others and tell ourselves, and when we tell our story, our slice of the blame is about 5% at best. And the majority of the blame falls at the other person or the other group because we love to blame circumstances and we love to blame other people. That's just who we are. But we said to move forward, you've got to own it. And all of it, all of your part, and then in the following the week after, we talked about owning your slice of the pie. So please go back and listen to that because today we're going to talk about the rest of the pie. What do we do with that? The part that the other person or the, other, the group, they really are to blame. They really did hurt you. They did, really did betray you. They really did break their promise or they really didn't come through for you or they really did lie to you. In other words, they absolutely have a part in a percentage of the pie. And the blame. And maybe it's a big part. Maybe it's a huge part. And now you carry with you, uh, carry with you this, this baggage from the past, which is why you need to do a restart in a certain area of your life, in a relationship or a marriage or through a divorce or how you handle your time or your finances or a job, whatever it might be. Or you carry with you the knowledge that a part of you, a part of the reason why you still walk with a limp in your life or maybe in relationships or you struggle in a certain area of your life or relationships that, that you're still affected by the pain or the aftermath of what they said or what they did. So what do you, what do, you do with that? And, and, and as I talked about, for some of you, you were the victim of things entirely out of your control. Maybe you lost a parent at a young age or due to death or illness or an accident or maybe even suicide or maybe your mom and dad or dad they were just absent maybe they decided they were leaving for someone else or there wasn't someone else they just decided they weren't happy and that going and doing something else they could just start over and so one way or another they just blew up your family or maybe your mom or dad they just abandoned you or they were an addict or they were a drunk or in your past uh, or as a child or an adult or both you or the victim of neglect, or maybe abuse, or physical, or sexual assault. And as a result, you carry with you the shrapnel from that experience. And you just walk through life, and you walk into every class, and every job, and every relationship, and every social situation with a limp, with wounds that you carry. Maybe years or decades old. And in those kinds of categories, as much as you might feel that somehow you are to blame, you are not. And the reason why I say that and why I'm going to repeat it is because over the years I've done a lot of work with victims and something that is quite common is victims blaming themselves and even experiencing victim shaming for things that happened in their life that, that were not their fault. So I just want to make sure that you hear me loud and clear. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Something quite common, again, is, is because of what we experience, this loss, this abandonment, or this, this, this neglect or abuse, it affects us to the level of our soul. And whatever we, whether we want to or not, whether we're cognizant of it, or, of it or not, we carry that with us into every scenario and into every relationship. 
And while what happened to us initially may have been out of our control, how we respond to what happened to us, how we let that shape our behaviors or quirks or how we interact with others or the ways that we let that continue to sabotage us and relationships, that's the part we have to own. And, and, and even if we haven't had those kind of out-of-our-control, life-altering experiences, we all carry with us wounds and issues and habits and dysfunction because we're human. And when we look back on scenarios where personally and professionally things just fell apart, and when, things, uh, when it comes to assigning, assigning blame, even though this other individual or this other group are to blame, you have a, the respon- a responsibility in terms of what you do with what you do with your, with your stake, owning your issues and your dysfunction that played a part and played a role. Because if you don't own your part, you smuggle your issues and your junk and your dysfunction and your bad habits into your future, just like you not owning your slice allows you to smuggle your issues into your future, not dealing with other people's part of that pie, enables other people to smuggle their issues into your future as well. If you don't deal with that, if you don't deal with what was done to you, the betrayal, the hurt, the anger as a result of the hurt, if you don't deal with this properly, the people who you dislike the most, the people you hope you never see again, the people you have to interact with but you loathe it, the people that you just can't believe what they did or what they said to you, you empower them to smuggle their issues into your future to rob you or continue to rob you of your future. And the, the reason so many people have, uh, have, have a hard time, they find themselves experiencing specific repeat performances and behaviors and situations and problems in their life or struggles in their career relationships that they hope would never be repeated is because they're dragging their past with them. Either the part that they refuse to own or the shrapnel or the angst that comes as a result of being hurt or being betrayed or being lied to, or left, or abandoned, or fired, or mistreated, whatever it was. So let me, I'm going to just ask two very insensitive questions, because that's how I roll. The first one is this. How far into your future do you intend to carry the angst created in your past? How far? I, I mean, there's understandable angst from your past because of things that happened to you, what was said or what was done to you. So this is important. And it's an insensitive question. I get it. But how far do you plan into your future to carry or intend to carry that angst created in your past? Because if, if you don't deal with it, you're going to carry it. It's going to go with you in every situation and relationship. And I mean, many of you, you saw this with your parents. Many of you, you saw this with your parents. I mean, we're all products of our family of origin. And then maybe as you got older... You finally found out, well, the reason that your mom was this way or your dad was this way is because their mom or their dad was this way, and they were just so fill in the blank, or her mom did something, or her mom's mom did something, and it goes all the way back to Eve, or the reason your dad was the way he was is because his dad was emotionally constipated or absent or a workaholic or an alcoholic, or his mom was a helicopter mom, or she basically just babied him or was controlling. I mean, you are who you are because because of the family you are born into or adopted into and you have issues that you inherited from them. We all do. So your current situation is connected to your past. But again, this is a crucial question. 
How long do you intend to carry the angst created in the past and your future? How long do you plan to allow the people who mistreated you possibly to influence you? The one that betrayed you or hurt you or abandoned you. How long do you allow them to have influence in your life? And if you don't know, then maybe you should get your calendar out. I mean, do you plan to do this for the rest of your life? Do you plan to do this for another five years or just through your current relationship until you bust it up or maybe through the next season of marriage, possibly until it creates irreparable damage in the relationship or maybe uh, until your next marriage or maybe through college or until your kids grow up and leave home, until you retire as long as it takes for your kids to be imprinted by your dysfunction so they can carry that dysfunction into their future marriage and relationships. And people go, well, I never thought of it like that. Well, you need to think of it like that. We all do. How long are you going to empower and give permission to people you don't even like to influence your future? People that may not even be around or alive anymore. Now, I think if you you and I were to answer the question honestly, we'll go like, well, I'd kind of like for that to end today. So here's another question. It's a little easier. Have you ever met anyone who seemed to just have their life together and then you hear their story and are shocked? I, I mean, their life just seems so wrinkle-free and you just assume they grew up in some perfect loving home and they grew up and went to school and went to college and, or maybe the military and they met some awesome guy or awesome girl and they got married and they've got this amazing life but at some point you hear their story and it's like, are you kidding me? You look at them and go, oh my gosh, I I had no idea. No one would ever guess that you had that screwed up of a childhood or that you went through something like that. No one would ever guess that your world was rocked this way. How did that ever happen? I mean, you get together, maybe it's like the nicest couple you've ever met, and then she starts telling this incredible story about her past, or he starts talking about his struggle or his parents' struggle with addiction or alcohol, or they went through an impossibly tough time in their marriage, and you listen, it's like you're just in awe. It's like no one would ever guess that about you. That's the goal. That's the goal. The goal is to be able to, be, to move through and beyond something and actually come out on top with things that have the potential to negatively impact your world and to sabotage your life. Now, because I'm a pastor and I do what I do and because I'm curious and because my social skills aren't all that great, I tend to ask people unintentionally invasive questions because I just, I just love to hear people's real stories about their life. And I'm, again, I'm an Enneagram 3, so I ask questions that normal, sensitive people would not ask. And I've literally had people within 30 minutes of meeting them just share some of the darkest stuff that they've been through in their life or survived uh, that would devastate or maybe even destroy most of us. And, and I always ask when I see this person, it's like, but they seem to be so strong and healthy or I never would have guessed it. I always ask, how? Like, like how did this happen? Like, how did you become this person? It seems to look like they've got it all together. And 100% of the time, I hear some version of this. I decided that my past will inform me, but it will not define me. My past will inform me, but not define me, which gets to the point of my message today. Because today we're going to look at one of the most amazing passages in the New Testament that relates to this. It's in Ephesians 4. And if you don't get anything else, then what you need to get is this. You have the ability to decide. You have the ability to 
to decide to leave that behind you. You have the power to break free from a past, your past, where maybe you were deeply hurt, you were wounded, or you were betrayed, or abandoned, all those things. But for you to move forward, you have to release the past so that the past can release you. And to do this, it boils down to one familiar word that we all like to talk about in church, and we are all about it. We are all about this word when it comes to God's relationship with us, but we are not so excited about it when it comes to our relationship with other people. And when we're in the wrong, and when it's our slice of the pie, we want it, but we have a very difficult time giving it. And it's the word forgiveness. Forgiveness allows us to leverage the lessons to what we learned in the past to, again, inform us, but not define us. Now, some of you, you you might say, Chad, you you don't know my story. You're wrong. I, I can't just decide. In fact, I'm overwhelmed by what happened in my past. I am damaged beyond repair. I was impacted so deeply. It's out of my control. It can't be helped. It's just always going to be a part of my story. It's always going to define me. It's, just, it's going to define my relationships, my romantic relationships, my marriage. And I just want you to know from personal experience and from the hundreds of stories that I've heard from other people who have come through seemingly impossible odds, you can decide. And I don't mean that after hearing this fantastic sermon and all these great phrases and all this, and you're going to walk out of here, log off your computer device, and suddenly everything is going to be okay. That's not what I mean. What I mean is... If you intentionally decide, decide to hand that to God and to release it, God will honor that decision. And in time, in time, people will meet you and get to know you, and then they're going to hear your story, and they're going to be shocked when they hear your story because there's no trace. There's no evidence. Because through forgiveness, you begin the process of allowing the past to be the past. Now, the Apostle Paul, who, as many of you know, he steps onto the pages of history as a Christian hater, and he didn't just hate them. He had them arrested. He had them put to death. But then he has this life-altering encounter with the guy that was supposed to be dead, an executed carpenter, now very much alive. So not shockingly, he becomes a Jesus follower. He becomes the very thing he was trying to eliminate and exterminate. And then he begins writing letters to churches that he begins to plant. And in one of these letters, a letter, letter to a church in Ephesus, He writes this to the Ephesians in chapter 4. Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Now, the important thing is in the Greek, this is actually two imperatives. It's two different imperatives. In translations that are more literal to the Greek, the wording is be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. And the reason that translation is somewhat better is because, again, in the, in the Greek, it's actually two separate imperatives. So, literally, be angry. And for some of you, like, finally, something in the Bible that I can do and do well. Or it's, you're thinking of the person next to you, it's like, hey, I think they have the spiritual gift of this, so be angry. But be angry and do not sin. So Paul's saying, listen, let's be real. There are going to be some things that make you angry. There's going to be some things that make you mad, that should make you angry. There are things that are going to hurt you, and you should feel hurt. Make you mad, you should be mad. In fact, there are things that happen uh, or happen to you that if you're not angry, there's kind of something wrong with you. For some of you, progress would just be get angry. But Paul says there is a time and there's a place for anger. But 
you need to keep it in its proper place. And then he gives us this insight into what our responsibility is to when it comes to our anger that we have a decision to make. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, when my wife, Shauna, and I first got together, uh, I was pretty fresh and being serious about my faith and about the Jesus and the Bible and all that. And during our engagement and as a young husband, I took this really literally, especially since both of us came from divorced homes and neither one of us wanted that to happen in our relationship. Uh, we, I, I'm just telling you, it came down to we can't go to sleep until we work this out. Okay, we got to work this through, so no lie. There were some of our disagreements that went on to like one or two, three in the morning. I would usually win because I had more stamina. Uh, you know, so I was like, all right, I'll give up, like whatever you want. And, uh, not exactly. She's too much of a fighter. But uh, one of the things that happened was through some mentoring and maturity and learning, it's like, oh, it's really more about the spirit of what Paul is saying here, the heart of it, because sometimes, honestly, the absolute best thing you could do is just go, okay, time out. Uh, I don't really like you right now. You don't really like me. Okay, but I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. Let's just get a good night's sleep, and we will revisit this tomorrow after we get some rest. Game changer, okay? But a lot of people, they take this literally, which basically means that you should never go to sleep or go to bed mad which is easy to do if it's something as simple as you once again left your dirty clothes on the floor or you once again didn't put the toilet paper refill back on there or you put it the wrong way where it goes over instead of under and you know once again but when it comes to the big things or things that just went on for weeks and weeks or months and months or maybe years or maybe something big and bad that was said or done to you this doesn't work that way, and it's, this isn't literal. Paul is simply communicating that at some point, sooner rather than later, at some point, you have the responsibility and more importantly, the ability to deal with this, that you can decide. So he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, decide. How many more sunsets? How many more times is the sun going to go down without you deciding to deal with with the things that have caused you to be so low-grade or maybe high-grade angry. And it's a question that if you don't ask it, you know, three, five, ten years from now, you're going to be exactly where you are today, but most likely worse. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. We're going to talk about that in a second. Once, but once again, Paul says, you have the power, and you have a responsibility. And some of you, you have stories that if you were to tell me I'm over coffee, I'd be tempted to go, okay, your story is so horrible, you get a pass. You do not have to forgive. In fact, you should. You should stay mad at them the rest of your life. There are many stories where I've heard, like, I don't feel like I have the moral, moral authority to tell you what to do with that kind of pain or that kind of betrayal. It's just so deep and dark and understandable. But the Apostle Paul says, regardless, regardless of whatever it was, there's a role for you to play. There's something that you can and that you need to do for you. Not necessarily for the other person. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give, or other uh, translations, grant or gift the devil a foothold. Now again, I'll come back to the devil in a second. And in fact, in three weeks, we're going to talk about Satan and hell. So you don't want to miss that one. Uh, but I want to talk first about the word foothold. And in some English translations, it's translated opportunity. 
It literally means don't give the devil a staging area in your life. Don't give the devil figuratively a place to camp out, a place to set up shop and invite in a bunch of his friends. In other words, don't allow your anger to result in something that stays with you and gives your enemy the opportunity to just wreak havoc in your life and your relationships forever. You ask, well, how do I keep that from happening? He says, by dealing with your anger. By deciding, okay, four more sunsets and I'm dealing with this. Seven more sunsets, I'm dealing with this, I'm done, I'm moving on. By the end of the week or the end of the month or by Thanksgiving, I'm going to do whatever I need to do and involve whoever I need to involve so that January 1st of 2022, this is behind me. This is in the past. It's going to take me a while. It's going to take some counseling and some support and encouragement and accountability. But I have decided this is the year it ends because I do not want to give the enemy a foothold, a staging ground, a controlling, a controlling position living rent-free in my heart and my mind and my life and where, to where it reaches into my next dating relationship or my future marriage or into my current marriage or into the way that I parent or grandparent or the way that I work, the way that I deal with my money or the way I deal with temptation or responsibility. Now the interesting thing is in this particular text, the word devil, the word devil in the Greek New Testament, there is a word that's translated Satan, okay, as if like Satan is his name. But the Apostle Paul in this particular text, he uses the word devil. But it's a Greek word that means liar or strategizer or deceiver. Liar or strategizer or deceiver. And here's why this is important. Because when you see the word devil, likely your, your mind goes to like a, a, a being, like a creature, like red with a pitchfork or something like off of a, a scary movie or some demon creature from a scary show. Uh, but the more practical way to understand how Paul is writing this is if you were to take out the word devil and then replace it with the name of the person who hurts you. See, if you do that, if you remove the word devil and you replace it with the name of the person that hurts you, this is going to make perfect sense to you. And now I am not saying they're the devil. You think they're the devil. I'm not saying that, okay? But here's the power in how he's worded this. He's saying, okay, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Like at some point, as quickly as possible, because as some of you, you've, you've discovered the hard way that if you allow enough suns to go down on your anger, that you inevitably give that person or you give that parent or that sibling or that boss or that coworker or that teacher, the president, that attorney, that company, that ex-husband or wife, you're giving them increasing and a lasting foothold in your life. They're just taking up residence in your mind. And of all the things that you may want what I know you don't want is to give that person that hurts you a staging ground in your heart. Because if, 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 otherwise, if, if you do, you're just handing them the keys to your life to continue to influence and hurt you in small and big ways. And you don't want that. You know you don't. And some of you know that deep down, you know you tend to overreact or underreact in certain situations. And it's all connected to something in the past. And it ends up making things worse and when it's a scenario that bumps up against some of that junk in your past, junk created by that person or by that group of people in your heart and your mind. And you know there's something wrong and you know you've never dealt with it. Paul says, listen, 
I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying it's overnight. But you've got to decide. The past will inform me. It will not define me. There's a place and time for anger, but I've got to keep it in its place. And then a few verses later, Paul comes back to this whole idea of you have a choice. He says, get rid. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. How? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And the word forgiving here means to pardon. Okay, forgiveness is simply a pardon. And you know what a pardon is. A pardon is, you're, you're guilty, but I'm letting you off. You're guilty, but I'm not going to punish you. You're guilty, but you can go free. You, you did it, but I'm choosing no longer to hold this against you, to prosecute you for what you did. That's a pardon. And Paul says Christians, Christians have a responsibility to pardon the people that have done wrong to them. Now, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. If somebody did something or did something personal to you that breaks the law, does this mean you shouldn't call the police? No. Call the police. I mean, the judge might throw them in jail, and you can go visit them in jail saying, hey, I'm not going to hold this against you. The judge is. Got to go. And I'm not kidding. I mean, this isn't somehow, you know, they assaulted me or stole from me or they've hurt me in a way that crossed legal lines. So I forgive them. So does that mean I shouldn't call the police? Absolutely not. If they broke the law, you engage the authorities. And as a Jesus follower, you decide, okay, the law may not pardon you, but I've decided, you know what? You don't owe me anymore. I am pardoning you and I am moving on with my life. Your mistreatment of me is not going to define my life because Paul says, forgive each other as Christ forgave you. That is, we were guilty. And God took the first initiative and God pardoned us. And we were guilty. God didn't make us pay Him back because we couldn't. Which means that if you're a Christian, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to forgive, but it's a responsibility that actually serves us well. Because forgiveness is a way to ensure that the people who hurt us in the past don't continue to hurt us in the future. He says, pardon as you have been pardoned. You go first. Don't sit around waiting for them to come along and apologize because odds are, you know this is true, they don't even know what they've done half the time, right? I mean, how many times have you had somebody finally work up the courage to tell you that you hurt them and you're like, you just didn't even have a clue? So you go first so that you can go on. You decide, you know what, you actually owe me, but I've decided not to hold you accountable to what you owe me. And if there's a lot to deal with, like there was a lot of hurt, I want to give you a first, a great first step. I did a version of this just uh, several years ago, actually, and it was huge. It was so helpful. And that was basically sitting down and making a list of how they hurt you and what they owe you. Make a list of what they owe you. And you need to write it down. You need to make, make a document and you, or you need, and you need to get it in print what they owe you. And FYI, it is going to take longer than you think. Because once you get started, you're going to kind of enjoy it. Because you're going to start writing down like, oh, and they did this. Oh, and they did this. And, and, and it's like right there. See what they did. They, they, they took from me. It's like they stole my innocence or they stole my opportunity or they stole my reputation. 
They stole my time. They stole my first marriage. They stole my virginity. They stole my opportunity. They stole my chance to raise my kids. Or they stole my chance for the opportunity to put my kids in bed every night. Or they stole my childhood. They stole from me, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And then you just write it down. Because before you can pardon someone, you have to have a crystal clear picture as to what it is that you're pardoning them for. And you need to have it as soon as possible. How many more sunsets? Because the truth is, what they owe you, most likely, and in most situations, can never be repaid, can it? And yet, it's been a chain around your neck. And you've carried it into your future. And, and, and this is about your freedom. And this is about you moving forward. So you have to own decisions and actions and words that were in your control, that were defined by or informed by or driven by your painful past. And this is crucial because you will never lo- let go of their part until you let go of your part. Until you first own it. You'll never be able to fully pardon or let go of what they did until you first own what you did. And this is one reason why so, most people, they just find it so difficult to fully move on because we all, fe- we all fear facing the reality of what we have to own. None of us likes to look in the mirror and own our piece of the pie. But if you refuse to take responsibility for your part, you just lock yourself into a future. You lock yourself into a future that's influenced and in some cases controlled by the very people that hurt you the most. You don't want that. So release the past. Forgive. And the past will release you. That's it. And the great news is that the future can be better than your past. This year can be better than last year, but not if you rush. Not if you refuse to do the difficult work, but it will be better if you allow God and trusted friends and maybe a professional counselor to help you drill into these things into your life. Because this is your story. This is your life. You're, you're writing a story. And, and my hope and my prayer is that you would write a story that you want written and live a life worth living. Let's pray. God, I, I pray for all of us because all of us, there's just been damage in the past. For some of us, Father, maybe it's been so long and it's just gotten so buried we don't even realize that it's there, but other people sense it. I pray, God, that you would give us the eyes and the sensitivity to truly see the junk inside of us. As the psalmist prays, search, search our heart. Find anything that is offensive or broken. Help us to see it, and then with your Spirit, help us to deal with it. And Father, I, I know that there are people listening to me right now that they have experienced something so painful that they've really never believed that they could really break free from it. And I pray, God, that you would truly begin to transform their mind on that. That you will help them to not just believe, but to feel. No, there, there is hope. And I pray that you would help them to find that freedom and that release that they've longed for for so long. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.